Today we'll talk charity, China, and coronavirus. Does charity fit under the socialist view of America? How has China's dictatorial regime impacted their people and the world? And how has China's response to that pandemic been a typical call from their political playbook? All this and more today. You're listening to Where Liberty Dwells podcast. I'm your host, Vaughn Hilp. Welcome back, everybody. Today's episode will most likely be short but sweet and to the point. It'll be kind of a culmination and verbal expression of everything I've been reading and hearing during this unprecedented time. Everyone's in the quarantine. Everyone's stuck at home. So I've had a lot of time to compile a lot of thoughts I've been having and everything I wanted to talk about. So firstly, in the news lately, celebrities have been famously praised and not so famously praised for donating to COVID-19. There's a long list including Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Leonardo DiCaprio, Oprah Winfrey, George Clooney. And with news such as this, the socialists inevitably emerge from the depths of Twitter in hand-clapping emoji, exclamation point, overloading, moral grandstanding fashion, um, and Karl Marx and company have took to their keyboards. One tweet that particularly caught my eye was a quote from the Communist Manifesto co-author that was posted, uh, Frederick Engels. Uh, the quote said the following: "The bourgeoisie is a charitable. The bourgeoisie is charitable out of self-interest. It gives nothing outright, but regards its gifts as a business matter. Makes a bargain with the poor, saying, if I spend this much upon benevolent institutions, I thereby purchase the right not to be troubled any further. And you are bound thereby to stay in your dusky holes and not to irritate my tender nerves by exposing your misery. You shall despair as before, but you shall despair unseen. So this made me think." Was this a claim back by facts or simply one of numerous efforts to try and divert dependency onto the government rather than yourself and fellow citizens? Because if we know anything about from Frederick Engels and Mark, Karl Marx, they were, they were masters of this. It always seems to come down to the basic notion that the group takes precedence over the individual. Marx and Engels and every socialist since have believed that people are better off in the arms of centralized authority rather than on their own. And if the U.S. government is any example, it should be clear that this is certainly not the case. Therefore, in the case of charity, the obvious socialist fix would be to funnel all charitable donations through tax increases. In essence, the proponents of such a system argue bureaucrats hundreds or th- sometimes thousands of miles away can better decide how to allocate your money better than yourself. What an absolutely preposterous outlook. Contrary to how socialism might appear, this fundamental principle shows us underlying tones of narcissism and condescension baked into its very existence. And let's think, why why would we put an end to something so good? The World Giving Index compiles data from 126 countries on giving time, money, and helping strangers. In 2019's 10th year edition of the index, the United States ranks overall number one. The Giving Institute reports Americans gave $427 billion to charity in 2018. And now here's something interesting. China is at the very bottom of the list. We're talking dead last, 126th out of 126. And speaking on China, this is the, this is the main point of today. China is, without a doubt, the most dangerous adversary of the United States and to much of the free world, of the free world today. They are a brutal authoritarian regime, past and present. People may have lost sight of this, and it's why I wanted to address it today. So let's just take a, take a second to remember some things. 
under Maoist China, there has there have been uh, there's a, there's a there's a lengthy list of uh, of atrocities that we should go over. So Mao became the chair the chairman of China's Communist Party in 1949, and for 33 years he was uh, he was the chairman and he ruled over China. He was responsible for a lot of massacres. Uh, we're going to go over some right now. In 1952, there was basically land reform completed, af- completed after a five-year campaign. All land deeds uh, were destroyed, and land was redistributed, and roughly two million landlords were just executed. Uh, in 1957, there was the implementation of the communistic economic policies, uh, often titled A Great Leap Forward, and that would eventually lead to tens of millions of people dead. Uh, there, there was partial uh, blame due to drought, but it was also because of this completely uh, reallocation system of the agricultural industry in China. Tens of millions of people died in just in, in less than 10 years. In 1966, there was the famous Red August Month, uh, which was the beginning of the Chinese Red Terror, uh, so mass political suppressions and massacres during the Cultural Revolution, with death toll estimates of up to 10,000 people. Fast forward a couple decades, uh, the Tiananmen Square uh, incident, we'll call it, estimates it uh, as possibly up to 10,000 civilians dead. To this day, you are likely to be persecuted for discussion or even acknowledgement of the massacre. Tiananmen Square, for anyone who doesn't know, was a gathering of many young college students in China it, at this famous cultural center in China called Tiananmen Square, where they, pro- where they, where they protested for, for days and weeks. And what happened was the Chinese army was sent in to try and suppress this. And at first, what actually ended up happening was the Chinese troops were from this metropolitan area, and they began to actually side with the protesters. They, 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 they heard them out. They, you know, the protesters said, well, let me tell you why we're here. And they began, to, they began to agree with them. And the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, they saw this as a problem right away. So what they did was they, they recalled all those troops, and they gathered up a force from outer reaches of China where they had this, this news of this protest hadn't really spread that far yet. And they sent them in. And they, what they did was they educated them before sending them in, saying that these were, these were brutal uh, you know, political dissidents who were, were threatening violence. And they lied, they lied to, the force, to the Chinese forces that were going to be sent in in order to, to you know, in essence, brainwash them into thinking that these people were evil. And so what happened is they, they went in and they, they killed their own civilians. And to this day, you cannot talk about it. Okay, well, you might say, what about today? Like, where, you know, China's changed, right? That was 1989. That was 30 years ago. Well, not really. It's pretty much the same. In the 1990s and 2000s, the Chinese Communist Party realized that communist or socialist-inspired economic policies fail miserably. Uh, U.S. politicians, they should take a note of this. Even when there's total control. Keep in mind... The Chinese Party, the Chinese Communist Party, has in complete authority over the Chinese people. They exercise brutal dictatorial policies among the Chinese people. So what they did was they implemented a kind of phony capitalism, allowing them to become an, ep- an economic powerhouse that they are today. And the thing is that the, authority- the authoritarianism never never went away. It it actually has grown if if you really think about it. Uh, for thirty six years, the chairman of the CCP they were limited to two terms, but that was abolished in March of two thousand eighteen, when the uh, the parliament, let's call it the, the legislature, they they voted, and once again I put voted in air quotes. They voted to completely abolish term limits on the chair on the chairman, which makes President Xi Jinping or Chairman Xi Jinping, the chairman for indefinitely until he dies. 
This government exercises brutal control over its people. The most popular text app in China, WeChat, has over a billion users monthly. And through advanced data algorithms, they deploy real-time censorship even among private text, me- private text messages, including images. Anything the CCP deems undesirable to the agenda of the party is immediately covered up. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of listening to um, uh, this, uh, this student at, at U of I. He was at a meeting for Turning Point USA, which I attended this past uh, semester before we were all sent home. And he was talking about how sometimes uh, using that app in China, he'll be sent. He's from China. He and he came in. And he was talking about it. And he said that sometimes he, you'll you'll just be sending a message to your friend, and if if it catches the algorithm, it is you are immediately sent um, this automated message saying you have to change your text, your speech to fit the the party's uh, you know code of of conduct and things you're allowed to say. And the person you sent it to will never even receive that message. It it is. It is a extreme violation of the freedom of speech and expression. And if anyone is familiar with the TV series Black Mirror, there's an episode called Nosedive, and it's about this woman who uh, lives in a futuristic society. Um, and they there's there's like this this thing this like a, there's like a social media score, and you get graded on your interactions with other people. So you have an interaction with someone, you kind of point your phone at it, and you grade them, and you give them a certain amount of stars, and a certain amount of stars will. Everyone can see your score essentially, so you are you are judged constantly on what your score is. So you're constantly competing to have a better score than someone else. And this sounds this sounds crazy and insane and and you know kind of unimaginable, but it's actually happening. China is actually doing this. In 2014, there was an announcement of what's called the social credit score, and this is actually now set to be launching into the public in 2020. So everyone starts with the same score. It's, I think it's about a thousand. And deductions are made for a list of bad behaviors. This can include smoking and non-smoking zones, loosely defined frivolous spending, and yes, also criticizing the CCP and the Chinese government. Consequences to these bad behaviors and deduction of points can be travel restrictions, the inability to take out loans and buy property, and you get put on an overall blacklist that is kept up by the Chinese government. And now boost your score, such as donating blood, volunteering, and recycling... We know they need volunteering based on the charity scores. They offer up perks like express travel at airports or other other, uh, sources of mass travel. Well, the Chinese government publicly has stated that this is supposed to be, this is supposed to model uh, the Chinese society so that every person is an upstanding member of, of their, of their country. But in essence, it's just, it's just the, it's just extreme scrutiny by the government to monitor every single aspect of their people's lives. And once again, their their liberty is is diminished even further with this. The USSR could have only dreamt of the authority the Chinese government possesses over its people. With the implementation of modern technology, China is quite literally taken straight out of George Orwell's 1984. Like Big Brother is is alive and well, and in some cases even more dangerous than we could have ever thought. And is this is this not enough? What about genocide? For over a decade, the CCP have rounded up millions of Uyghurs. These are Chinese Muslims native to northwest China, and they began what is effectively a cultural genocide. Many have been sent to re-education camps where practices of brainwashing, sterilization, and forced labor have occurred. The goal is to erase Uyghur culture from the face of the earth through, like we said, sterilization, and also if, if babies are born to mothers who are Uyghurs, they are immediately transferred to other, port, other 
areas of China where they are to be raised as, as anything but their own people. Mosques no longer allow minors to engage in religious practices there. And schools are switching to a curriculum almost entirely taught in Mandarin, and almost all Uyghur texts have been tossed to the trash. And finally, hundreds of Uyghur intellectuals have been reported missing or dead and have been adding up over the past decade or so. These are modern-day horrors that cannot be stood for by anyone across the globe. Yet, we do, over and over. Ever since China has become an economic superpower, the world has bent the knee to China and these atrocities. For example, the NBA has a large viewer base in China, and in October of 2019, the GM of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, he tweeted in support of the Hong Kong protests happening at the time. That tweet hailed a storm of backlash from the Chinese government and many Chinese companies. They threatened to stop all NBA broadcasts in China unless the tweet be deleted, apologized for, and denounced. In a worldwide moment of shock and awe, the NBA, including Daryl Morey, and many of the league's superstars, such as LeBron James and James Harden, kissed the metaphorical feet of the CCP. This is supposed to be, an, uh, a, this is supposed to be a league that champions freedom of expression and freedom of speech. Supporting Hong Kong is supporting freedom, and anything short is aiding in the suppression of millions of people's liberty. This was only done because the NBA would lose a fortune, but at what cost? Here's another example. Recently, at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, a video interview between a Hong Kong media outlet and Bruce Alleyward, a World Health Organization executive, completely dodged questions about the situation in the virus the situation with the virus in Taiwan. All he managed to do was to praise China's efforts on the response to the virus and be silent on the situation in Taiwan. Of course, Taiwan is, unre- is unrecognized as a sovereign state and considered part of China within the country. For years, China has pressured international companies to, acknowledge, to, to not acknowledge Taiwan as a sovereign state and yet as a part of mainland China, when many leaders and groups in Taiwan and abroad support its independence. Not shockingly, in 2005, the CCP officially stated that measures to cede from China by Taiwan would result in, quote, non-peaceful action. So even the World Health Organization, a, a, an organization meant to serve the broader interest of humanity and solve, the, solve health problems, is in China's back pocket. This seems especially scary during a global pandemic that originated in China. You have to understand the severity of this situation. Everyone's heard of the origin story. The consumption of exotic animals such as bats in the Huanan wet markets in Wuhan, China, led to this outbreak of the novel coronavirus starting in around late December of 2019. The problem is, in the aftermath of the initial outbreak, the Chinese government lied about the severity and number of infections to organizations like the WHO and the CDC, and others whose job is to preemptively prepare for disasters exactly like this. Even without the rumors that the virus started in a lab only miles from the wet market, that would mean the government in China is responsible for the lack of information that led to such a rapid global spread of COVID-19. Simply put, China lied and people died. That'll leave me with this. There has been plenty of backlash in the American media and the political left for identifying the virus as the Wuhan virus or the Chinese virus. 
Many who protest this fear discrimination to Chinese Americans and Asian people in general. Now, diseases have historically been classified from where they began. Just a couple of examples, the Hong Kong virus during the 1950s, the Spanish flu during 1918, and even Lyme disease was named after a town named Lyme in Wyoming. To anyone who may discriminate against Chinese Americans or someone of Asian descent, stop it, please, you idiot. These people are not to blame, and I am deeply against any, any behavior of the kind. The people responsible are Xi Jinping and his band of communist authoritarian thugs who run a government that for the last century have been responsible for unimaginable horror. So yeah, call it the Wuhan coronavirus. Let the world know where this came from and who has helped cover it up in only the most recent event on a long list of atrocities committed by this state. You're listening to Where Liberty Dwells podcast. I'm Vaughn Hilp. (laughs) 